We're still reeling, still getting to grips from a crazy weekend of heavyweight redemption, but we're back with another episode, Catchweight. We've got a lot to discuss, from Dillian White's four-round demolition of Alexander Povetkin in their rematch, to the crowning of the new, undisputed UFC heavyweight champion of the world, Francis Ngannou. We're going to talk all about it, break it all down in episode 17. We witnessed a historic changing of the guard at UFC 260. Francis Ngannou destroys Stipe Miocic early in the second round to win the UFC heavyweight title and essentially elevate himself into superstardom. The differences from this fight and the first fight, of course, when they met at UFC 220, when Stipe dragged Ngannou into deep waters, wore him out, broke him essentially and won a clear five-round decision, this fight could be no different. Ngannou was patient he hurt Stipe several times in the first round. He even defended a takedown, which was just remarkable viewing. And in the second round, he landed a good left hand to stumble Stipe, who got up. Stipe did fire back with his own right hand, and then he just got a bit overzealous and got caught by a huge left hook. And that was all she wrote. Francis Ngannou, what a journey it's been for him, fleeing from Cameroon to find a better life, essentially going through a lot of struggles in the Sahara Desert, through borders, being in prison at one point. And now here he is the baddest man on the planet, and what a performance it was. More than three years ago, they initially met for the heavyweight title at UFC 220 in Boston, and the golf in class there was evident. Ngannou was tired, he had no wrestling defence, he couldn't even get up on the mat, he looked a bit clueless at times as Stipe was able to pin him down, Ngannou couldn't even attack from the bottom or use any technique to get up, it was more about that explosive power, which is why he just gassed so early in the fight. This time, the management was on point. He never rushed into shots, he waited for Stipe to make the mistakes, and Stipe did make the mistakes. He was buzzed by a right hand early on that did clip him around the guard. There'd later be a head kick, but the pivotal moment, like I said, when Stipe went for the double leg and Ngannou was able to hold on, sprawl, take Stipe's back and land some shots before Stipe escaped. Even Ngannou was about to go for a takedown, but I think the corner talked him out of that because that would have just tied him out, and then he obviously was able to get the separation and continue working from there. And the second round, Stipe would get hit by a left hand, he'd stumble, he'd get back up, and then he would land a right hand of his own, which I'm not sure necessarily hurt Ngannou. It probably did buckle him slightly, but he wasn't nowhere near in danger, which Stipe thought he was. Stipe initially opens up, runs at him. Obviously, they were quite close to each other at that point. And then Ngannou just lands one left hook, and Stipe folds his leg kind of contorts as he goes down and then one hammer fist to finish it off and seeing the champion who has been so dominant who has made such history the consensus greatest heavyweight of all time get folded in that manner is just testament to Ngannou's power to his skill and the improvements he has made an unbelievable adaptation and it just shows that you can learn a lot this first fight between Ngannou and Miocic might have been the best thing that happened to Ngannou's career considering the lessons he's taken on board you know that dark summer of 2018 where he was essentially left like a deer in the headlights against Derek Lewis, one of the worst fights in UFC history, to now destroying the champion in 5 minutes and 52 seconds. It's an unbelievable turnaround, and this is what we could expect from someone who has been training MMA for quite a short period of time in relation to other fighters. He hasn't been around the game to learn as much as others. He had the skill, he had the power to take him that far, and then when he did learn what he needed to learn against Stipe, he would come back, he would dust himself off, annihilate four top heavyweights in within a round and then take out the champion in the way he did stunning performance and now Ngannou really does have the world as his oyster there are some big big fights on the horizon for him possibly even a transition to boxing with the star power that he will now command 
I believe the size played a big part in the fight as well. Stipe came in at around 2.30. I think he gave up almost £30 to Nganu. I'm not sure that would have been an intentional part of the game plan. Maybe they expected Nganu to be lighter with his cardio, etc. And obviously that just contributed to the struggles. It was always going to be hard for him to hold down such a bigger man and then taking the shots like he did. He did well to, to ride those shots in the first round and get up from that knockdown. But when Nganu was able to land clean and land flush, that would be it. You wonder maybe in the heat of the moment, no one's going to be thinking about this, but when he did go for that right hand and Ngannou did back up to reset or recover, perhaps if he level changed at that point, got a takedown, he could have taken Ngannou's momentum away. Ngannou was still looking a bit tired. I mean, £263 is a lot to carry around for a five-round prize fight and you are going to be breathing hard no matter what. So those are just heat of the moment things. Of course, this guy's a champion, Steve Hayes, experienced. I think he'll deserve a lot of the respect that he will get, whether or not He'll get the rematch, we'll discuss that shortly. It really is a full circle moment for Nganu to do what he did to Stipe. Everyone thought that was how the first fight would go. Stipe was an underdog in that one as well. There was a belief that Nganu could just overpower him. And that wouldn't be the case, of course, this time round though. With the lessons learned, with the game plan, the wrestling defence. And everything tied up together very nicely to make for a stunning performance. And one that we could look back in history as the moment that Nganu really did arrive. He's been destroying people left, right and centre and to put on that performance in a championship fight against a man with the longest reigning heavyweight reign in history or in terms of the most title defences at least that is just a statement to be made so a win in that manner with the journey he was on before I think that makes Nganu probably the biggest star in the UFC after Conor McGregor with the heavyweight attraction, the knockout power I think there's a lot of big fights and a lot of eyeballs on this man now from now on and what a fight he could have for his first title defence. John Jones, who's been targeting a heavyweight fight for some time now. It was almost confirmed, but not fully confirmed, that he is going to step up and take on the winner of this fight. Of course, he has been putting on a lot of mass, a lot of muscle to make the step up to heavyweight. That would be a huge, possibly one of the biggest fights in UFC history for him to step up. His first heavyweight title fight will be against Francis Ngannou, making his first title defence. Possibly the biggest threat to John Jones ever seen. John Jones has faced power punches before. He's faced big guys, but is a different level in terms of his size, his power, and the fact that if he does land on John Jones, it is very likely we will see John Jones dropped and put to sleep for the first time in his career, which just makes this such a huge fight, but also one for John Jones's legacy. If he is able to take out the heavyweight champion, such a dominant and dangerous force like Nganu, he is undoubtedly the greatest of all time. So I think this is a fight to make. Now, is it going to happen? We'll see. John Jones' Twitter... He certainly looked ready for it. He, of course, wanted to be paid well for it. And I think you should when you're a light heavyweight champion or former light heavyweight champion going up to take on such a wrecking machine as Nganu. And considering this fight will be so big, I think they could even do it at the Las Vegas Raiders Stadium if they wanted to. And what a way that would be to really kick the UFC's crowd events back into gear. You've got to mention Derek Lewis as well. Of course, their first fight. No one can remember that. No one wants to remember that. But... With Dwayne Ngannou wrote the wrongs of the Miocic fight, perhaps he will want to do the same with Derek Lewis, the only man who can probably hit as hard as he can in the heavyweight division. And if Ngannou does want to continue this retribution tour and fix where he went wrong, taking on Derek Lewis, a deserving challenger, will probably be the way to go. I wonder if the UFC will be hesitant to sell that, considering how the first fight performed. But when you look at two knockout artists who will definitely want to do a lot better than they did the first time round, maybe with a couple more rounds to get something off as well. It could make for some interesting viewing. 
And then, of course, you've got to give the champion his pops. The former champion his pops. Stipe Miocic deserves a rematch if he wants it, but I'm not sure whether he wants it at this stage. Stipe has been a man who has alluded to retirement at several points now in these last few years. I'm thinking if he did beat Ngannou, he would have fought Jones and then retired after that. Maybe he'll want to get the belt back. But I think the manner in which he lost, the fact that it was such a devastating defeat, I could see him taking some time off and then we'll see if he gets back in there after a year or so. But yeah, you've got to give him his respect. What a reign he had. And he dealt with Ngannou the first time. And now Ngannou got him back. Stipe is still, I believe, the greatest heavyweight to do it in terms of what he achieved, the reign at the top. Of course, he's a guy that has gone through losses himself as well, so he'll know Ngarno's feeling of you know fixing where he went wrong, like that loss to Dos Santos going on to knock him out so quickly and defend the heavyweight belt. It's what it's what you dream of and it's what you strive for when you take these devastating losses. So those are obviously the three in charge, the three leading contenders to take on Ngarno. I believe. They'll struggle to get the Jones fight made quickly. I think Jones will probably want some more time. Understandable, put on that size. I wouldn't be surprised if they give John Jones a Curtis Blades or some, someone like that because if you're taking your first heavyweight fight and it's Ngannou, yes, it's massive, but it's also a big risk. That will, of course, I think, build the fight a lot more depending on Jones' performance. But if Jones goes straight up, the mystery factor will just make this even more compelling. I have a feeling Derek Lewis might get the shot first, so in terms of how long it will take, I'm sure Ngarno will want to get out there again and just keep building that profile. If you get Derek Lewis out of the way, then you can set up for that big John Jones fight, maybe in the winter of this year. And to look out for, the heavyweight division is really springing into life now. A few years ago, it was looking a bit barren after Stephen was knocking out all these contenders in the first round. Now we've got these three who I've mentioned. We've got Cyril Garn, we've got Tom Aspinall, Alexander Volkov. So many fighters to keep an eye on. Rosenstrike is still in there. He's still at someone to look out for. So it's going to be very interesting to to see how Ngannou can deal with it with this workload. He's got his work cut out, but so have the fighters who have got to go in there with a guy who just destroyed the dominant champion in the way he did. So props to Ngannou. What a performance. And there were some big things ahead now. We have a big, big star on our hands. We've got a heavyweight with the same appeal as Mike Tyson now, who can knock out people with such ridiculous power. It's going to be very interesting to see how he develops and how he goes on further. And of course, he could still even get better. He's improved so much from three years ago in that first fight against Stipe. Now with a belt to defend and more and more eyes on him. He's going to keep evolving and I think we're going to be in for a very fun ride for as long as it lasts. And now for the rest of the card. I think UFC 260 was perhaps the best pay-per-view of the year so far. The co-main event, Tyron Woodley submitted by Vicente Luque in the first round, but not without a struggle. Woodley came forward right from the start, looked for a big right hand, he would clinch with Luque for a bit, and then he would keep going for those big right hands. One did go over the guard of Luque, and I think it backed him up a little bit, but then he would just keep swinging wildly and get caught by a counter right that wobbled him, and ultimately that was the beginning of the end for Woodley. His legs were all over the place, stumbling back towards the octagon, taking even more shots, but still he was ready to load up those right hands and try and find Luque with a Hail Mary of sorts to try and knock him out. One of those shots, he would fall, go to the ground, and then Luque, great, great decision to do this, to try and avoid the big shots of Woodley. He kept him down, got in a Darce choke, and after a few seconds, Woodley would be forced to tap. And that was the fourth straight loss for the former welterweight champion. Luque, a huge win for him going forward. He is a, a problem now, I think, at welterweight. I think he's had a few elements of his game that were still a bit raw, but like I said there, going for a choke when you could have easily continued to slug it out with Woodley when he was going for those right hands very telegraphed but still one of those landed you could have got knocked out 
I think Luke now is on a good trajectory. He was very underrated before this fight. I think now he'll he'll get the props that he needs. In terms of Woodley, if this is his last fight in the UFC, which is very possibly could be, even though he was champion like two years ago, I think it's not a bad way to go out when you consider that against Usman, he was just dominated for five rounds. He couldn't really mount anything in return. Burns, a similar statement, more five rounds more of domination. He was just spending a lot of time on the mat, being overwhelmed. And then again, Colby just dominated on en route to that fifth round injury stoppage and the problem with Woodley there was that he was gun shy he was loading up a right hand that he was too scared to throw he was just having his back towards the fence at all times and having no space in that small octagon here he did go for it yes he was beaten in the process but this wasn't a frustrating 15 minute fight where we were wondering Woodley's finished wondering about his mentality and so on he went for it he had the killer instinct and I think that's something to be proud of maybe we'll see him one more time out there but the former champion still has got some dog in him. And I think that's a great thing to take forward. Whatever happens now, I think Woodley can look back on this fight, especially as the one that said, you know, he gave it a go. And look, there was no, no shame losing to Usman, Burns and Colby in the way he did. He was dominated by fighters who are just on the up. The new breed of the welterweight division, the new elite crop of the welterweight division that Woodley was a part of not too long ago. And then Luke here just gets the better of him after a war, which he gave it as all. So, props to both. I think if Woodley does have one more outing, it could be against Robbie Lawler. Both of them possibly will retire after that fight. I still feel there's a bit of unfinished business after UFC 201 in the way the fight finished so quickly. So, that is something to keep an eye out for. Vicente Luque, maybe he'll want to get it back with Thompson. Maybe Chiesa, who's a similar fighter making that sort of splash. But yeah, welterweight is looking very interesting at this moment in time. Sugar Sean O'Malley got back in the win column after suffering his first career defeat against Chita Vera last summer. Not a defeat if you ask him though. O'Malley looked brilliant as he stopped Almeida in the third round after possibly two walk-off knockouts that weren't obviously called walk-off knockouts. The first round, he caught him with a great head kick, wobbled him badly, walked off and then the referee didn't stop the fight so he had to continue damaging him. And then ultimately in the third round, hurt him with a short left hand Almeida stumbled to the ground, rolled over, his head was there for all to see, for all to hit, and the referee didn't call it off again. So O'Malley came in, a big follow-up shot, and that just left Almeida out cold. Great, great performance from O'Malley. Wanted to get back in the win column, and the way he mixed it up in this fight was just excellent. Switching stances a lot, plenty of straight lefts down the pipe, a great selection of kicks, a lot of flashy stuff as well, but I think it was very calculated. I think he was looking for the highlight reel knockout a bit too much at one point, which may have forced his work. But overall, it was a solid performance and he got the stoppage he wanted at the end. Now, what do you do with O'Malley? I think he addressed the calf kick problem. I think Almeida did land a few calf kicks. Maybe not enough. Maybe you should have went to the well a bit more with that calf kick. He was missing a few of them, though. And I think O'Malley made sure he was very light on his feet so he could just spring back out whenever Almeida did try and load up the hips and, and damage those calves as Chito Vera did. And then, yeah, you got the stoppage. What do you do next with O'Malley? Because Bantamweight is a very, very fun division at the moment. A good crop of talent, but also talent that could present some stylistic problems for O'Malley, who, in all respects, is still developing. I've mentioned, I've heard Dominic Cruz mentioned several times. An interesting fight for me. I wouldn't take that fight maybe for one more year. Just let Cruz slow down a bit more and present that fight to O'Malley. I think it's a bit of a toss-up at the moment. I think Cruz could still present him some problems, even go for takedowns and stuff if he's not getting the better of O'Malley on the feet but yeah I think I'm back all in on this sugar show it was of course a tough loss to Cheetah Vera but 
he's still got the skill and I think he's just got better now. He's very fluid. The style is very watchable. Probably the most watchable fighter in that division, even though it's a very fun division. It's just great to see how he mixes things up. And there's a lot of fun fights for him on the on the rise. So I think they've got to take it slow with him, let him develop, let some of the upper fighters you know, sort themselves out as well. I think they do want to attach the rocket and just see how far they can go, but they saw the risk of that when he was beaten soundly by Marlon Vera last summer. So yeah, well done to Sean O'Malley. Some exciting times for him ahead. Almeida, it's a tough, tough loss again. He did bring it. He did, you know, fight well, but he's too one-dimensional now for a bantamweight division that is all about movement. I think all these fighters you're seeing, they're so nimble with their footwork. They're so quick. Whereas Almeida just loading up and trying to take your head off more as a traditional shooter box style. After Garbat knocked him out, he's not been the same. And yeah, they kind of fed him to the wolves here with O'Malley. It was more of a setup fight for O'Malley. And now you wonder what happens with Almeida. I don't know if they could cut him now or maybe give him a couple more fights. But he's going to need a big change in the game plan now. He's just loading up a bit too much in his shots. And yeah, he was durable. He took a lot of damage on the night. But he couldn't land much of his own, especially towards the final rounds. Miranda Maverick could have emerged as a woman's flyweight contender. Solid performance. I think that fight was should have been easy to score, but one fight, one judge had it 30-27, despite Gillian Robertson spending almost four minutes in top control in the second round. But Maverick tied it up very nicely. The pressure in the striking was excellent. Coming forward, punches and bunches. Great top control as well. You know, we want to see these contenders come up, and at the young age of her, she could keep making those strides and, and, and those improvements that she does need if she does want to look at perhaps a Valentina down the line. And then the final fight, or the first fight in the main card, Karma Worthy against Jamie Malarkey. That ended quickly when Malarkey clipped Worthy, he had a delayed reaction and then face-planted on the ground, and that was all she wrote. Just a picture-perfect shot there to start the main card. Um, the undercard, the prelims, we saw Abu Bakr and Magomedov outstriking Jared Gooden. Out of all things we expected, possibly a dominant dominant performance by Namagomedov's cousin on the ground. He was outstriking Jared Gooden after a few tentative minutes on the feet. Gooden did look like he'd have the better of him, but Namagomedov just made the adjustment, and probably with one of the Coach of the Year contenders, Khabib, on his side, he was going to do that, and he did so with flying colours. Good win for Alonso Menefield as well, submitting Fabio Chirant with a Von Flew choke early in the first round. Chirant, the UFC newcomer, was just caught off guard by that, and... When you're caught by a Von choke, it can be a bit embarrassing for fighters, considering the, the manner in which it is. But he, he made a mistake. He'll learn. It's not something too devastating to come back from. But he just held him to the guillotine too much, left his arm trapped there, and Manifield was able to capitalise on it. And the first fight of the whole card was Mark andre Barriol stopping Abu Azeta with four seconds to spare in the final round. That was just a dominant third round from Barriol. It was a close fight before that. Azeta did look good after returning for suspension, but Barriol just put him on, put it on him in the last few minutes, and he got the stoppage with four seconds to go. So a big performance for the middleweights. What a card it was! UFC 260. It's been an unbelievable run of events at the Apex. They've got some big middleweight fights coming up now, and then of course UFC 261 in front of fans. But this show was just superb from start to finish. It was a short night uh, compared to the others, just ten fights in total. The main card was superb, and then of course you've got a finish like that. Francis Ngannou, heavyweight champion of the world, and we wonder what could be next for him. There is so much big things on the horizon for this Cameroonian devastating wrecking machine, so we will find out what's next. Ngannou got his redemption, and so did another heavyweight earlier in the night, Dillian White, 
stopped Alexander Povetkin in four rounds in Gibraltar. A dominant, dominant performance. He gets revenge. He gets it back. And now he's back on the trajectory, which he was before this, having picked up so many wins back-to-back and never getting that elusive world title shot. Maybe he'll get a bit closer now with this performance. So emanating from the Rumble on the Rock, Matchroom's card in Gibraltar, Alexander Povetkin and Dillian White ran it back after the summer shocker at fight camp. We saw Dillian White, despite dominating Povetkin for several rounds, would get slept by a lead uppercut and ultimately sent his career into a tailspin. His career was, in most respects, on the line on Saturday night, but he charged forward and never let Povetkin settle at all. I noted Povetkin did look very off the pace. He did look unsteady. He was wobbled by shots that just landed on the guard and on the gloves, which was strange to see. You wonder if COVID could have had an effect. Of course, Povetkin recovering from COVID in the last few months made that have affected his training, made that have affected him long term. Of course, he is an elder fighter now. He's taken a lot of damage. And he was wobbled in the first round. The second and third rounds did a white put on a lot of the pressure. He was swinging wildly at times, but it wasn't sustained. It was more, you know, a winging windmill, windmill shot. And then back to basics with the jab. Povetkin didn't even make any attempt to slip the jab from Dillian White, which I thought was very strange. But he was just overwhelmed and he was bullied. And then a big shot. He was almost like a pinball at the end of the fight. Coming off the ropes. A right-handed come off the ropes into another shot. And then a big left hook. And there was a big fall in the corner. Mercifully threw it in, protecting the Russian former heavyweight champion. What a performance it was by White. You wonder, yes, Povetkin did have his issues, but... White did what he needed to do. He stayed diligent. He stayed on it. And he just didn't give Povetkin any breathing room, any time to settle in. And that is how Povetkin beat him the first time. He waited for White to fall into a trap. And when he did, he just bombed him with the left uppercut. It was nowhere to be seen this time. Excellent performance from Dillian White. And I think it will feel good for him now. He had a lot of people writing him off after the first fight, the way he was knocked out so badly. You wonder if he could get back into it. And he did. And they've got to make the wilder fight now, surely. Deontay Wilder most likely going to be on the sidelines as Joshua and Fiori try and get that fight made. And they've talked about this fight for a while. I think it's a great fight for both men. The winner of that will possibly throw themselves into the mix for the Joshua Fiori winner, unless Usyk and Joyce have something to say about that. But I think they've got to make that fight now. It's a big fight for both men. Wilder needs a big comeback. White wants that big fight that he's been chasing. Of course, it's not a world title shot, but I think fighting Deontay Wilder for Dillian White will be as big as a world title shot for him at this stage. And as for Povetkin, I think it's a good time to call it a day now. You know, put up the gloves. He's had a great career. He's fought a who's who of the heavyweight division of this era and the last era. A big defeat. This was a crushing defeat. He was completely dominated and, and brutalised over four rounds. Of course, he is recovering from COVID as well. I think it's a good time now for him to bow out of the game. He's been a warrior of the sport. One of the best heavyweights in recent memory. Always been around that solid contender level for a good decade now, I would say. And yeah, Dylan White got the better of him on this night. Elsewhere on that card, we saw Campbell Hatton make a successful unanimous decision victory on his debut against uh, Ruiz. We also saw Cheeseman stop Metcalf and Fabio Wardley stop Eric Molina. A bit controversial that one when he landed on the back of the head, but you know, fighters to look out for in the future. Great to see another good matchroom card on tap. The way they're building their fighters now, very similar to the UFC model. I think I mentioned this before, but. They had a successful card on Saturday night, ultimately punctuated by Dillian White's huge, huge win. He gets his retribution, and now he can get back onto that world stage. He can maybe set aim on one of the big dogs now, perhaps a Deontay Wilder. We'll find out. 2021 
just got a bit bigger in the fight game. We've had a big night of fights, which could set up for some even bigger fights to come down the line. Ngannou, Dillian White, they took big defeats the last time they met their opponents, but they fixed them in devastating fashion this time round. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Catchweight. We'll be back soon, and enjoy all the fights, enjoy all the chaos and the news that is the fight game.